0: G-I-R-L-S-C-A-M-P, it's Girls' Camp. Hello friends, hello campers, happy Friday. I'm your host, Haley Rall, and welcome back to Girls' Camp for the second time, for the first time. For the first time, you can be welcomed back to Girls' Camp for the second time in a week. It's kind of fun to do a Friday episode. I kind of like it. I like being able to say, Happy Friday. Thank God it's Friday. You know, I would love to do a bonus Friday episode much more frequently. I think it'd be so fun to do a couple bonus episodes a month and do more of a prolonged campfire chat. Just kind of shoot the shit, share what's on my mind, do a little bit more of a casual, you know, discussion on Fridays for a bonus episode. So in the future, I hope we can make that happen, but for now, I'm barely keeping up with one episode a week. So, you know, for now, we've got Girls Camp Wednesdays, but hopefully soon we can do some more girls camping during the week as well. Today, we are picking back up where we left off with Maddie Thompson's story. Just a little refresher where we left the conversation. Maddie had just spent the day in the hospital with her dad who had had a heart attack and with her family, and we're going to pick up today when they leave for the evening. So that's where we're picking back up, and today we really delve into her dad passing the experience of loss and of grief and just delve into that really deeply. No sugarcoating, as I mentioned last week. I wanted to share with you all this interesting kind of inclination I had around this episode. I found myself feeling really nervous, I think, to broach this topic. I was just feeling like, you know, girls camp, I want it to be a fun and a lighthearted and a chatty space and entertaining. And I'm always trying to toe this line between that and also really digging into the very often hard realities of deconstruction of life in general and of where the hard challenges of life cross over with Deconstruction from religion. I don't know. I guess I'm just saying that basically I was nervous to share something so heavy and so inherently sad. And I took a step back and realized no, obviously this is so important. This is something so many people have dealt with or are actively dealing with. And death really is a part of life, it's something we need to reckon with, it's a big part of deconstruction. And I found it interesting that I felt nervous or fearful to even talk about this or bring this to the girls camp community. And I think that just speaks to my own reservations around death and my own need to continue to deconstruct and unpack my concept of death, especially as a post-Mormon. And I just wanted to be honest about that, but also to say that I'm so glad and so grateful to be sharing this with you that Maddie not only shared this with me but with the Girls Camp community. I just think, as I said last week, that it's hugely important. Uh, part of my deconstruction and sort of a theme for me this past couple weeks has been really just accepting that life is not always happy. There's not always easy answers and easy meaning. This episode for this community has been a piece of me really thinking through that and coming to terms with that and i wanted to share that with you all okay i will cease my ramblings and let you in on part two of maddie thompson's story
1: we left that evening they wanted him to have more sleep and more rest and i was really really struggling i think feeling again in my body when i what i didn't want to believe would be true yeah but kind of sensing but sensing and also not wanting to inflict that on my mom who is having so much hope Mm -hmm. you know and my siblings who are like yeah dad's getting better the next morning we got a call from the hospital that he was awake that he sat up that they're gonna take the ventilator out and that he was asking for a pen and paper and asking for my mom so we all rushed over to the hospital and i Again, remember having this sick feeling and feeling really guilty that I didn't have the same kind of hope Mm -hmm. that my siblings did, that my mom did, or excitement. Yeah. We went to the hospital, and he was then more cognizant than he was the day prior. So he really recognized and understood, oh, my children are here. Oh, I collapsed. Oh, I had a heart attack.
0: This was like, Dad is back. And, and he's recognizing the situation. Yeah. And he's
1: like writing, like asking for a blessing and telling the nurse how good of a job she's doing, Mm. even though just speaking is exhausting for him. And that was a really special. Those two days were like, I guess a day and a half were the most special, priceless thing to me. One, because he and I were able to reconcile. Mm -hmm. silently and personally and peacefully, spiritually, but also because I was able to remind myself how innately intertwined we are and how special our relationship is. Me and my dad have a relationship that's different from him and my sister, from him and my brother, from him and my mom. I noticed that in the hospital when we we were trying to communicate with him, but he couldn't speak because it caused him to have so much pain mm. where I was like making charts, trying to communicate with him through like letters and pointing and mm. like hand signals and things. And I was like we were communicating and I was knowing what he needed and knowing his back was itchy and he needed his back scratched in these things and recognizing like I am in tune with him right now in a way that nobody else is. Yeah, you felt really connected. Yes, super connected. And I was starting to feel more hopeful the doctors came in and told us, we think we should put the ventilator back in. His oxygen is dropping a lot. And after about an hour of trying to put it back in, we were a little bit worried. It might not end the way that we hoped. Mm-hmm. The doctors kind of reassured us that he just needed rest. And it like, told us we should just go get some lunch. You know, get out, of the, get out of there, clear our heads. And while I was there, I kind of had this epiphany and told my mom, like, I can move to Jersey. I can quit my job. I can take care of dad full time because like he would do that for me. And apparently, or, and I'm remembering we have this connection Mm -hmm. where like, I, I know that I can be, I know it will be the right thing for me to give up my life right now to help him told my mom that and immediately Afterward, she got a call from the hospital that he had his heart had stopped. And so we all rushed back there. It was just the most surreal moments of my life. Afterward, I, I rushed in with my mom, and we sat in the hallway waiting for some answers. And eventually, I went into the room and just decided, like, I need to be in here. I need to be with him like whatever happens like can he hear what, like what? well I need to talk to him like I don't want him to just be hearing the doctors yeah like spiraling like I need to go I need to go talk to him and his heart had stopped but I also realized like I need to tell him I'm in love with Alora.
0: Hmm.
1: I've never been able to tell him this mm-hmm. so I ran in there and I just kneeled down with him and I held his hands and I was like dad it's okay everything's gonna be okay I love Alora. The way I feel about her is how you feel about mom. Like, I need you to know this. And sang him some songs and just his heart rate steadied for a brief period of time. So my family was able to come in and sit with him and say our goodbyes and just be with him slowly until his heart stopped. Mm. And I'll just, I will never forget those moments I think because it was so incomprehensible for me at the time. Everyone said their goodbyes, but I was like, we're just going to leave him here? What? And so I laid there with him for an hour, looking at his hands. These hands created my world. Combing his hair, wiping off his face, like propping him up so that he... I don't know, I just was like, I can't leave this person Mm -hmm. who has created everything for me, even though I know his soul is no longer here. I can't comprehend just leaving him. But I did what I wanted to do, which was like, I plucked a nose hair, I plucked an (laughs) eyebrow hair, I took a little fingernail, things that maybe would be weird to other people. Mm. But for me, I was like, this body is my everything. Yeah, And I can't fathom moving on from this Without honoring that from there on out, I f- kind of felt like the keeper of his body and like this connection to his soul and to his energy and ended up being the one who took his ashes and carried them on my lap across country on the airplane. Went to the container store to look for a little little something to put his ashes in.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You never... You just... You're never prepared for the day that you are walking into the container store with your headphones on looking for something to put your dad's ashes in. Mm -hmm.
0: You're never prepared You're never prepared.
1: And you're never prepared to, like, have to ask someone, like, hey, do you have something that isn't see-through, that isn't glass, that has a secure lid? And then be like, "Mm, what about, like, a spice shaker? And I'm like, what is my life? What is my life? Not quite. Exactly. There were all of these things from that point on where, like, I felt like the keeper of him in some ways. And that was really healing for me. It was really hard. But it felt like nobody else could do that except for me. Mm -hmm. And so I knew I had to. It's just like still feels surreal to me that that happened. Yeah. But that feeling of like devotion and responsibility and connection to him has never gone away inside of me, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. He kind of became my belief system
0: Mm. after
1: he died. Yeah. I just really leaned into that of like, okay, well, I guess I'll pray to my dad, Mm. you know, or like anything good happened and I'm like, thanks, dad. Or just attributing all of, I don't know, everything to my dad to the point where I started to feel like lost outside of myself even. And I I found myself reaching for something that would be an easy answer and actually just kind of perpetuating the religious dogma that I had participated in my whole life Yeah, that still like led to self-abandonment,
0: which is bizarre. Yeah, tell me more about that. When you say you feel like you made him your belief system, and it sounds like maybe you've unpacked even that a little bit. I guess maybe my question is, why do you feel like that wasn't serving you or that was maybe dogmatic in Mm. the way that you just described? Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, it's a great question. Well, first of all, after somebody dies, that time is just like crazy. You're like family's coming into town and you're packing and you're going through stuff and you're getting rid of people's things. And like, I'm a things girl. So I'm like seeing my dad's things get sold. It's all just so happening so fast that it's hard to really even have present moments or like comprehend those present moments. Yeah. It seems like it gets very logistical very quickly. Very, very quickly because there's so much you have to do. Yeah. And so for me, while I was still kind of in shock and comprehending what was going on, I was staying busy doing all of the things, you know, but I was also immediately leaning into just like, well, my dad's dead. I don't know, that just became... I was like, well, that's who I am now. The girl whose dad died, Mm. and that's it, and that's me. Mm. And like, I was okay with that because it reminded me of just like who he was. And also that we had that relationship and that he was so important to me. And we had his funeral on my birthday. It was kind of the only option. Knowing it was the only option, there was no part of me that felt like, we can't do this on my birthday because I'm like... If I'm going to spend, like, this day is just a day anyway. My dad just died. Nothing matters. My birthday is going to come or go either way. I might as well spend the day, like, honoring him Mm -hmm. and honoring that relationship and embracing that that's me now. Yeah. That's my thing now. Mm, Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it worked for a little bit, I think, in the busy stages of just, I don't know, it's hard to, it's like, it's so hard to put I'm it sure. into words. Well, it's,
0: I mean, I haven't experienced death very up close at all, but I can imagine and from the way you've articulated it so beautifully, so thoroughly, it just seems like it's everything. How can you even put words to something that's, it's just, it's too expansive. It's too, especially when it's the death of your father, the person that you feel so deeply connected to. It's almost like the death of your life in so many ways. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. How do you even make sense of it? I can imagine it feels incredibly difficult to put words to. Yeah. I want to thank you for sharing that. Yeah. That I think feels very sacred to me that you Mm -hmm. are willing to share that and share it with such candor i've been thinking as you've been talking you've talked about you know plucking the eyebrow hair Mm -hmm. and saying well that might seem weird to some people or way at the beginning of the conversation you know i joke about it that may seem weird to some people but it's interesting because when you say it it seems like why aren't we doing that anyway you know it feels instinctual I really admire you, and I've seen this in other facets of your life, but I admire the way that you do kind of what feels right to you, even Mm. if it seems like it's not the status quo or the social norm, but it feels really beautiful to hear someone talk about death in a way that doesn't feel like it's packaged in all these ways. We like to package things.
1: Oh, totally. Well, that's the thing. When, when my dad died, there was like this period of, you know, you're in a haze and you're just kind of like, ah, and it's like, ah, my dad died. And you're making jokes to, cause you don't really know what else to do, mm-hmm. but not really comprehending what's going on. And just writing these waves of the deepest pain you've ever felt. But then this shock that, like, that can't possibly be real. Mm-hmm. And I think I hit a point where I was just at my lowest. The initial chitter-chatter
0: had faded away. Do you feel like you had adrenaline? It almost yes. seems like it'd be, like, a, a, yes. a long-term adrenaline rush. Yes. And then that probably fades away. And it's like, oh, this is real.
1: Yeah, yeah. exactly. So that first month, those first couple of months were so busy and chaotic and I didn't have time to understand the reality and when the noise faded away and I tried to go back to work and I was a shell of a human I started to recognize oh this isn't I can't wish this away Mm -hmm. I can't get away from this this is my reality and it took me to a place I never thought I could go I just didn't know which way was up I could no longer pretend anything. So I could no longer pretend that like life is great. And like, if you just look on the bright side, everything will work mm-hmm. out. Life's what you make it. And I, and I started to recognize how much of my life I had spent disembodied and living to be the person who I felt like I needed to be mm-hmm. for the people around me. Rather than being true to the person that I was. Yeah. And always knew that I was and tried to hide from. Yeah. And so when my dad died and like my universe imploded, I no longer was like spinning on an axis. I was just like floating around and I was left with me, with actual me, Mm -hmm. not funny me, not Maddie who can turn anything into a joke or who can see the bright side or push through it. I like could no longer expend my energy in any way
0: really yeah. because I was just You exhausted. didn't have the capacity. To no, I
1: didn't. I didn't have the capacity that. to be the person I'd always been.
0: Yeah. Because
1: I knew the person I had always been was still compensating a little bit for the person I was afraid to be, which mm. is me. And the person who is me is the one who feels things deeply is extremely emotional, the one who was a crybaby or called a crybaby Mm. growing up or just exhausted by everything and pretending that I knew what was going on and that everyone was just like living their life. I was faced with the reality of myself, of my brain, of the way I see the world without being able to make it cute for everyone else. Yeah, And that was the scariest shit I've ever gone through. Because who I was looking at in the mirror I knew was me, but she was not the person that everybody expected me to be and not the person who I had always been. I knew that I couldn't, I would no longer be able to pretend anymore from that point on.
0: Yeah. And you'd built your whole life around the former person that you were pretending to be.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you build your life around that. And it's interesting as well because I had been deconstructing Mormonism. I'd come out to my family. I'd felt like I was turning all of these pages and like freeing myself.
0: Yeah. And it was,
1: there was the only thing that would shake me actually into myself was losing the thing that I had always relied on. Yeah. And that's terrifying. Absolutely. And more just like bleak and harrowing than I ever thought life could be. Yeah. And I had to spend a long time just alone. Well, with Laura. But I would spend just days at a time in my room. I would wake up and meditate and try to connect with my dad. I'd write him letters, draw pictures of him. I would deep dive on like my astrology Mm. and like try to really figure out who I am, you Mm. know, deep dive on human design or just like anything that I could get my hands on to try to figure out who the hell I am. Yeah. And what to do and how to, yes, how
0: to be. Yeah. Because I just felt so lost. Yeah. When your life came to a screeching halt all at once. Yeah. It sounds like from what I'm hearing and I'm not Really well versed in you know like what a psychologist would say about processing grief, but I'm really interested to talk about the Mormonism and the post Mormonism mm-hmm. of it all because it sounds like it was absolutely excruciating mm-hmm. but I think a death of a loved one is mm-hmm. and it sounds like you really let that be and and maybe there's some element to what you're speaking of even if you wanted it to be something different, maybe it couldn't have. Mm. But I feel like I hear in, in speaking to you about this experience with death, something so different than all of the narratives around death that I grew up hearing from Mormons through mm-hmm. Mormonism about what it's like to lose somebody and how it's part of a grander plan yeah. and how just what you spoke to at the beginning as well of, Yeah, of course, it's it's hard and it's sad, but this is God's plan, and there's something to learn from this. And what can we learn about what God wants from us? And you know, I think there is space for grief in the Mormon framework generally, but not what you're talking about, which is a real reckoning with death. Yes, (laughs) and it sounds like you've reckoned with it, and you're probably still reckoning. But I'm curious. First of all, I admire it deeply because it sounds, again, excruciating. It sounds natural as well based on what you were experiencing Mm -hmm. and the depth of grief. It sounds, again, like you allowed yourself that. And I'm curious where that post-Mormon aspect comes Mm -hmm. in for you, if at all, because maybe it doesn't, but Mm -hmm. what it was kind of like conceptualizing death when you were actually experiencing it. Mm -hmm. You were fairly freshly Mm post-Mormon, just kind of how you did and now do make sense of just death, even as a concept yeah. after experiencing it in reality.
1: Yeah. I think the biggest thing is not realizing how harsh reality can be mm. because when, when you grow up in a culture where there are answers for everything, there's a yes or a no or a right or a wrong for everything. You have everything packaged up in a nice little present ready to go. And when my dad died and there was no anything anymore i one felt angry that there was an organization or a religion that was promising answers that i knew they couldn't promise
0: mm.
1: and angry that i used to believe that because it would it would be so much easier to just believe that i'll see him again you know yeah but also feeling what is the word i'm looking for it's like i felt i just felt like bamboozled Mm. I felt like, oh, it is the most dishonest thing in the world to claim that you know what's going to happen after this life when Mm. you can't know that. Yeah. And I think I was just extremely unprepared for how not grounded I would feel. Like when you grow up in the church, there are just a lot of things that get pushed to the side, you know? Yep. Even like emotions, experiences, feelings, those things just get pushed to the side because there's a greater plan or there's a way you should be, etc. And when you no longer believe in an afterlife or not sure what you believe about the afterlife, when you're not sure if you believe in God, when you're not sure what you believe about where our souls go after this, that feeling of being out of control was just terrifying for me. Yeah, It was terrifying for me, and also I was terrified thinking about having to justify my experience and my feelings about my dad's death, my experience with his death, and my now relationship with him. It's terrifying to think, not only am I going to have to not know this for myself, but I'm going to have to spend forever trying to explain to people that what I do feel isn't crazy yeah that what I do believe like doesn't make me a crazy person and finding that balance between I'm just going to lean the other way and say like okay my dad's my religion now and I'm going to pray to my dad and he's going to tell me everything but that was not true to me because then I was denying myself the ability to choose for myself and I wasn't giving myself the credit for growing how I was growing yeah or for grieving how I was grieving, I was still giving it to someone else and giving them credit. And that didn't sit well with me because I started to, again, feel like a shell of myself and a shell of a person, which I've felt so many times in the history of my life, feeling like I am living for someone else. I am living to, you know, meet somebody else's expectations, even that somebody else being God. Mm -hmm. That never gave me the space growing up to be Maddie, because who Maddie was, m- natural impulses were bad. You know, mm-hmm. Maddie was inappropriate. Maddie was not ladylike. Maddie was rambunctious or annoying or like uh, bad or hypersexual or all of these things. And I had spent all of this time before my dad died cutting through all of the crap just to get to me. Yeah. And to recognize me and to know me and to believe in me and to really follow my intuition and to have this relationship with myself that was like unwavering, which also feels like such a Mormon word. <laughs>
0: I like it. And we can, we can reclaim that one. Yeah,
1: we'll c- reclaim that one. <laughs> and then recognizing wait, no, 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 there are still layers and layers and layers of conditioning that I have yet to unpack. Yeah. that i didn't realize i would have to unpack until the other security blanket that i had been using was gone yeah and so it's like okay well my dad is gone i don't believe in mormonism i don't even really feel like he believed in it at the very last moments of his life cuz i feel like his perspective got so much greater you know in those last like moments where we're speaking without words and we're connecting and we're really Experiencing each other as people and as souls. Yeah. But then to know that I can't just lean into that completely, or to feel like when I did lean into that completely, it was dysregulating for me. Yeah. That was uh, so disorienting. And having to know that I can't, like, having to recognize that this mindset of having all the answers that I've gone from being raised in the church is actually just never going to be the mindset that I have. Yeah. And also recognizing that the only person who can give me the answers is me has rocked my world. Yeah. Rocked my world completely. Yeah. Because you get, you're, you're at the depths of your grief and you're hurting and you're scared and you're confused and you want there to be an answer and you know there's not an answer and that sparks anger from the past and hope for the future, but really just grounds you in this lonely reality of I am on my own with me.
0: Mm-hmm. No
1: one else can make decisions for me. No one can take care of me for me. No one can tell me what's true to me. And when you've spent your whole life denying yourself the ability and the opportunity to listen to yourself, Yeah.
0: to even learn how to do that, then you're stuck at this that.
1: crossroads of like, okay, well, I'm either going to be completely misunderstood and rejected by everybody by being myself, or I'm going to betray myself by trying to be seen and fit in. And that just feels like a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation. And Mm -hmm. on top of that, it's like my favorite person is gone and will never be back. I'm grieving my past, present, future life with him, with my future children, with just this idea of how my life was going to be and was supposed to be, you know? Yeah. And that can take you to just the darkest places and it did. Like I went back to work for a little bit, quickly realized I wasn't able to work, and I took disability for 4 months. Good. And spent most of that time in isolation just grieving, feeling, figuring out who I am. First of all, understanding the my own cognition for the first time in my life without gaslighting myself, recognizing that the way our brains work does inform a lot of our experience mm. recognizing that growing up undiagnosed neurodivergent I tried t- my whole life to be what I thought everybody else
0: thought I should be yeah what society was yeah asking what society to be. asked me
1: to be and then having this reckoning at the same time of my dad dying that not only can I not be the person that society wants me to be or like not only do I not want to be that person but I can't now I can't mask anymore I can't pretend that I can be in this high stress environment. I can't pretend that I'm not a highly emotional person or sensitive person. I can't pretend that I am not actually me. Yeah. And that comes with admitting or owning up to my like deepest, darkest, shadowy parts of myself. And that is really scary. If all of the, the parts you've known yourself for, are inaccessible because you don't have the energy to be that person, and you're just left with still you, but the shadow parts that you always pretended you weren't. Yeah, that you're, you're able just to like
0: avoid. Who yeah. am I?
1: So I'm just either this person who everybody hates, or at least for my perception, everybody would hate, or I lose myself, and that feels like a lose lose situation. Yeah, it's something now looking back on the past ten months of my life that I am having more compassion for myself now than I have in the past 10 months. Mm. When you're in the depths of your grief, when you don't have anything to believe because no one can prove it to you and you know, no one will prove it to you and you're left with a version of yourself who feels less than satisfactory. It can get really dark and coming to terms with who I am and recognizing that the world was not set up for me mm. felt like, okay, well then what's the point? Mm. What's the point in going on? You know, my dad's yeah. gone. I can't be a successful person now yeah, in I the way fit. that I've always thought. Yeah. I like my family has changed forever. I am the saddest that I've ever been. It got to the point some days for me where I was truly like, I would rather not be alive than have to Try to fit a mold that mm-hmm. I can't fit, mm-hmm. because trying to fit a mold from here on out will kill me. Yeah, it will deteriorate it's my soul. Sustainable. Yeah, it will not be healthy for me. And that was scary. Like I had never actually been in the point of my life where I was resonating with people who had talked about suicidal ideation or the how much easier it would be to just. Disappear mm-hmm. to just not have to deal with any of this anymore because the pain and the confusion of having to figure out what life is and realizing that it, what I've thought it is is a lie for my whole life is just too much. And how do I go on in a world without my dad, who was yeah. the best person in the world?
0: You had so many layers of deconstructing and of reckoning yeah. with self, with reality, with spirituality with mental health that again, I think a lot of times people experience layers of that at a time, but because of the death of your father, it sounds like it was literally an explosion. It was everything. it
1: It was an explosion of everything to the point where I was, I knew like I'm either going to go like full steam ahead figuring out who I am with radical acceptance or I am going to disappear.
0: Yeah. Like I have to. I have to. I I don't have have the choice.
1: Exactly. I don't have the choice anymore. And, you know, I I tell my mom, I'm like, you're, you are really strong. You're handling this Mm. so well. And she says, sometimes she'll be like, well, I mean, what's the alternative? I don't really have a choice. And I'm like, Mm. you do though. You do have a choice. And it's been like, especially top of mind for me reading yesterday that Angus Cloud passed away. Yeah, I saw that. And that it was a week after his dad's passing. hmm
0: <sighs> That yeah. just,
1: something like struck a chord inside of me that really scared me, yeah. resonated with me, and, and also simultaneously like pushed me forward a little bit more because I r- was sitting there thinking like, I can't blame you. Yeah. And that is really a bleak and scary vulnerable thing to admit. Yeah. That to, I to can, understand
0: that. Yes, to understand yeah. that.
1: And then also to think like, we're all just people doing our best, living our lives with our family, with the people we love. Who gives a shit about money or your career, how successful you are? Like when yeah. at the end of the day it's all about humanity and these relationships yeah. and connection and making peace with who you are. In yeah. peace with the world and allowing everyone to be who they are, it reminded me why it's important to talk about this. I've felt a real fear of sharing this experience, one because I never want anyone to feel like I am robbing them of their own experience, mm. you know, yeah, by making such absolute claims about mine. Mm. Grief is such an individual thing that you know everyone experiences it differently, yeah. But I also have been so afraid to share because that makes it more real. Mm. The more I talk about my dad being dead, the more normal it is. The less novel it is, the less people are probably going to check in with me and be like, Mm. hey, how are you doing? Like, oh, she made a joke about her dead dad the other day. She's probably fine now. That feeling of if I share anything finite, I'm just, I'm not safe. You know, I'm only safe inside of myself. I've been in that place for so long and have been feeling this pull out of that place mm. by myself a pull from my dad mm. a pull from the universe to not hide away you know to share to see value and worth in myself even though i feel so scared and confused and like the least productive and successful i've ever been totally like i've been i've been unemployed since march on purpose I yeah. just couldn't work anymore and I have been grieving and figuring out who I am and working with my therapists and psychiatrists and working to like working on finding joy in creation again without mm-hmm. having to share that with anybody or make money from yes it. or make money yeah. and it's just
0: <sighs> yeah I think what's really really beautiful and really important And what makes me really glad that you are the person speaking to this is that I think there's so much conditioning around answers and around, well, but this is how I've made sense of it. And from our Mormon conditioning and with something like death that is so difficult to reconcile, it sounds like, and yeah, I want to move into kind of where you're at now. And maybe Mm -hmm. some things that you've, resources that you found or kind of how you've you know, found a more sustainable Mm -hmm. way of living because obviously you can't be in intense grief in that same way all the time. Yeah, But I do just want to acknowledge how admirable I think it is that you are willing to live in such a space. And, you know, even in the way you've been talking, it's like, yeah, I felt this, but then I got too connected to that. And then I've tried this. And I just think that whether or not you're grappling with something as intense and as life altering, that's a really important lesson that I'm trying to learn Mm -hmm. in grappling with the faith transition and grappling with my own things is that sometimes it just is. And sometimes you know, we distract ourselves from what is and from reality. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like you took a really hard look at reality and at self and identity mm-hmm. and these things that I think so many of us, whether it's through religion, whether it's through the Kardashians, <laughs> we find ways to distance ourselves from that. Yeah. And I've been thinking in my own journey a lot about the way that religion operates as a mechanism to kind of disconnect us sometimes from ourselves and from reality and that is something i'm unpacking myself and i just have learned a lot in listening to you talk through the story about how you've consistently kind of seems reminded yourself there's no easy answers Mm -hmm. there's no magic formula there's no, oh well, I understood death as the continuation of whatever you know, what have yep. you. And those things are okay too in I think moderation maybe, but the, the thing I keep being impressed by it is that lesson of some things simply are. Yep. And that's really fucking hard.
1: <laughs> it's so, so hard. Like I did mushrooms for the first time a few months ago. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. Great! I'm just gonna get some answers for my dad. And, <laughs> yeah, hey, Dad, wait. how you doing? Give him a little call. Uh huh. And I didn't.
0: <laughs> mm.
1: Surprise! <laughs> I was overwhelmed by the nothingness mm. and the everythingness of everything. I was like sitting on this hill, these magical, beautiful. Green golden hills and the sun and the trees, the wind was blowing in the trees, and there were deer in the distance, and the view was amazing. And I was sitting there thinking, This is really, this is really just it. This is it. Mm. As bleak as that sounds, this is it. And no one is going to come kerplunk me over the head with some insight that's going to make it all make sense. And I'm never going to get an easy answer, and I'm never going to feel 100% settled with any answer. And that is the reality. And if I don't accept that, I will be miserable. I'm still trying to accept that. It's really hard. I have days where I can't, I feel like I can't function and I'm beside myself and crying so hard. I feel like my ribs are going to break and I can't imagine ever feeling joy again. Mm. And then I have days where I'm feeling extremely joyful and living in the beauty of connection with the people around me. And then I have days where I'm randomly faced with an acquaintance who recently lost their dad, Mm. who I never would have really stayed in contact with otherwise, but have felt this not just like want, but need to be there for. There's just not one answer for anything. And that, I think, with grief is the scariest Thing and also the most liberating part. Nobody can tell you how to grieve. No one can. No one can know what you're experiencing. No one can know what relationship you had with the person that you've lost. No one can tell you what's true. No one can tell you what sits right with you. You are the only person who can connect with yourself and your intuition to find your own answers.
0: Mm-hmm. It's
1: like no one's going to tell me what's going to happen. So I'm either going to be miserable thinking I'm never going to see my dad again, which might be helpful for some people to just think death is death and this is over and I'm going to think of it this way and I'm going to move forward and that's what's true to me. Mm -hmm. That's not what feels true to me. What feels true to me is, oh, my dad was this giant of a person who had this heart and soul too big for this earth and there's no way, there's just no way that that is just gone yeah in my mind yeah it's he's got to be his energy couldn't have just disappeared so it's either in this dog who's showing up on my doorstep this stray dog that I have to take to the shelter Mm -hmm. or maybe showing up through another friend whose dad passed away and I am then having to show up for them and apply these lessons I've learned from my dad like compassion and acceptance and empathy for other people and It's like he shows up maybe to me in that way. But then it's also like I, it makes way more sense to me that he's, his energy is out there somewhere trying to connect with me, trying to tell me he loves me, trying to show me he loves me and that he like isn't gone and that my connection to him can be real if I want it to be. Yeah. Because no one else gets a say in that. It's all my choice. So I can choose that it's all bullshit. Yeah. And just feel that way. And I can also choose to believe without having the answers of how or an explanation that I can continue to connect with his energy. I can feel close to him. I can continue my relationship with him because that brings me peace. Yeah. And no one can tell me otherwise. Yeah. And I think that is one of the hardest things to reckon with, but also one of the most important things to remember whatever helps you helps you grief isn't linear my brother went back to work two weeks after my dad died and he that's what he needed to do throw himself into work to continually prepare for the baby they were about to have Mm -hmm. to support his wife in preparing for the baby to come it's different for everyone like i couldn't have done that because i am not him it's really scary to grieve in a non-traditional way. Yeah. It's scary to grieve and experience outside other vulnerabilities, whether that's financial vulnerability or emotional, mental vulnerability, professional vulnerability, whatever it may be. It's grieving is a, is a full time thing. There's no time limit. There's no schedule. Like it comes and it is there and it goes as it pleases. And to think that you can control that, for me, is doing a disservice to yourself. And I would just say to anyone who is grieving the loss of someone close to them and finds themselves in this place of, I actually no longer have the finite answers that someone else can tell me. You get to decide. You get to decide. And you also don't have to decide if you don't want to. You don't have to. You don't have, you literally don't have to do anything. You don't have to push yourself beyond the point that you can go that is so important we see what does happen if you deny yourself the opportunity to grieve if you find that it's just too painful to be honest with your situation if you find that it's just like too anything grief is going to be the winner You know what I mean? Like if it comes Mm -hmm. between having to choose like grieving and anything else, grieving is probably going to win.
0: Yeah. And that... It'll find its way. It'll find its way. And that's
1: scary because our lives are so valuable and grief can make that really difficult to remember. Mm. Not just because you're experiencing so much pain, but because it seems like the world is no longer real. Mm. It seems like there are no rules. Yeah. If the worst thing in the world could happen, yeah. why am I even trying to do any of this? Yeah, I just feel very strongly that our lives are important and meaningful and every person is important and every person is valid in being themselves and should be allowed to be themselves. And it is so... Tragic to live in a society where that's not always valued. Mm -hmm. I've seen how life-changing it has been for me to have the privilege of being able to prioritize myself and to choose myself when it felt like I was given two choices. Keep trying to just be this person who was productive in society and successful or to take care of myself even though that meant I would be unemployed and not the most fun all the Mm -hmm. time anymore or flaky and not able to hold uphold all of my plans and whatever it may be Mm
0: -hmm.
1: the choice to continue fighting is so difficult but just so worth it Mm -hmm. and i'm really grateful to have like a partner who's so supportive and family and friends who have been there for me No matter what, reassuring me that I am allowed to take my time, reassuring me that they're there for me, because it's extremely lonely and it's extremely scary. And I feel very grateful that I've had the opportunity to just let myself grieve. I know not everyone has the means to be able to do that, to just literally grieve full time. Mm -hmm. I don't feel like I really had a choice. It was just what I needed. And I'm grateful that the circumstances in my life lined up with that to allow me to have this time. Yeah. I just hope that moving forward, I can continually keep this at the forefront mm-hmm. of my memory, of my mind. It gives me a drive for life and like a, a purpose that I, ha- I haven't had before mm-hmm. and wouldn't have otherwise. Yeah. That is something, you Amen. know? In the name of Glennon Doyle. In the name of Glennon Doyle, amen.
0: No, I I think that's really, really beautiful. I think it's really fascinating how in the face of death, quite literally, you know, the kind of full circle moment is you saying life is worth it. Even without the answers that you had as a Mormon and then the answers you had in the immediate wake of your father's death— even having to unpack and deconstruct identity and yeah spirituality and religion and self even though it can be so devastatingly excruciatingly hard life is is worth it yeah. and i think that's a really beautiful i hate to say conclusion but a really beautiful piece of all of this mm-hmm. is that even though you've had and really survived the depths of this trauma and grief and still have, like you said, it's not linear. I'm sure there's going to be that for the rest of your life, but you still recognize life is worth it. Mm-hmm. And you know, what other takeaway is there than that than to say, well, I'm going to do my best to live my life, whatever yeah. that looks like.
1: Well, and, and recognizing not only is life worth it, but this is actually life. Reckoning with the discomfort, experiencing the disorientation of death, and also at the same time experiencing the joy of birth and growth and newness and change. Life literally can't be just good, just happy. To think life is pleasant only would be misguided. Yeah. And... I have found that the more I let myself live and really live, not just kind of float, not go through the motions, not perform, but just live and exist and be, the more I feel in tune with the universe around me, Mm -hmm. the more I feel called to lean into those taboos, knowing that, at least for me, the more I share what's true for me, the more I express my struggles and my joys and my confusions, the better I feel somehow. And not even better, but the more grounded I feel, yeah. the more me I feel, the more I can feel myself walking on this earth, living, breathing, and trying to be a human. Aligned, connected. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think that that is will just have to be my perspective forever. I, obviously I will continue to change and my mindset will change and my beliefs will change. There's so much change and growth when it comes to life and I see now how fragile life is. Yeah. But also how just this is just it. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's it's everything so much bigger. Yeah. Why are we worried about the little things? Yeah. Why are we worried about being perceived by other people or Doing the right thing when really one day your dad can just die. Yeah. And that is a whole complex world that I'm living in now. But I'm really grateful to you for giving me the space to share my experience and also just for being an inspiration of speaking your truth radically without... Filtering that through the lens of anybody else, that's extremely scary. The world is so scary. I'm terrified of literally everyone. (laughs) I don't want anyone to see me or talk to me, but at the same time, there's something inside of me that calls and says, like, hear me, understand me. I'm important. I'm special. Yeah. And like, the world likes to tell us that that's cringy to think you're special,
0: Mm. to think
1: that you have. A purpose. Something to offer. To think you have anything to offer? Yeah. God forbid that you have something to share that's unique with the world. We're all different people. We're all unique. Why aren't we all just soaking in each other's like individuality and yeah. uniqueness and learning from each other? And I struggle so much with that fear of being misunderstood, being held to something that I've said in the past, whatever it may be. And I know that when I do filter myself like that, a little part of me dies. Yeah. And I don't know why, and I don't know how to really understand that. All I know is that I have to be, I need to be heard, and I want to hear others. Yeah. And hope that I can continually do that. Yeah. It's scary, but it's sharing, I think, has been the most cathartic thing for me. And something that I'm feeling more and more comfortable with. Yeah. I'm starting a newsletter soon. Oh, amazing. That I am about to... Amazing. ...launch where I... It's called Dear Dad, where Mm. I'm just understanding life through the lens of talking to my dad who isn't there but might be. Yeah. About life and what I should do and what I shouldn't do and also how none of it matters because literally what's going on. Yeah. And I hope to keep being able to do, to share, to, to be myself without filtering that because there's really nothing else we can do. Yeah. And there's really nothing else we should do. Yeah. Because in the end, we're all going to die eventually, mm-hmm. which sounds so bleak. Yeah. But also, we're all important. We're all individuals. We're all going through something. Let's just exist together. Yeah. Let's just be together. And... Why does it have to be more complicated Yeah, than that?
0: I love that so much. I think that's such a beautiful note to end on, just the power of sharing, the power of stories, the power of using our voices and finding the people that resonate or if they don't resonate, that can learn. And this is such a, again, such an intimate and sacred story. And so thank you so much again for sharing mm-hmm. it with me, for sharing it with Girls Camp community. I know how resonant it will be, and I've learned so much from you through our whole friendship and through this conversation. Mm. I love you so much.
1: I love you. Thank you. Thank you for being I here. I love Girls Camp. You need
0: to come back on. I'll I come wish back we- on. You need to come back on. I want to talk with you and Allura, too. I think yeah. there's so much beauty and so much in that story as well, and I love how you speak to that, but... Thank you so much. I yes. love you so much.
1: I love you. CTR, everybody.
0: Choose, Choose the right. The right. <laughs> Choose the right thing for you. <laughs> there you go. There's the, there's the sound bite. Yeah. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thank we'll you. see you next week. Bye. It's Girls Camp.